Boomers. Welcome to the Get Out Swim podcast, where we discuss all aspects of competitive swimming. I'm Seamus T. Quinn, and I'm a former Division I swimmer and current college and age group swim coach. Today, my guests include four Division III NESCAC conference coaches. Combined, these men have amassed over 100 years of head coaching experience, highlighted by achieving numerous NESCAC and national accolades, including mentoring both individual and team champions, All-Americans and academic All-Americans, and being recognized as some of the best coaches amongst their peers. Throughout their tenure, they've also helped mentor one another, formed friendships, and shared some unforgettable moments, including, of course, one unbelievable get-out swim. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with four NESCAC coaching legends. Well, thank you all for joining us on the very first episode of the Get Out Swim podcast. I'm your host, Seamus T. Quinn. Um, today, we're joined by four legendary Division Three NESCAC coaches. We got Mark Benvenuti, Adam Hoyt, Don Megerly, and Peter Solomon. So, gentlemen, thanks for taking the time to be here. Thanks, Seamus. Yep. Awesome. All right. So um, for those that are listening in and don't know much about our coaches here, I'll start by having each of you introduce yourself and your connection to the NESCAC conference. Um, Don and Adam, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, this is my 53rd year at Tufts, the first 33. And I was a men's swimming coach. Left Tufts to go back to New York, but I was asked to stay in and coach our marathon team. And before, Shortly before I did that, I hired this wonderful human being. And as I publicly tell everyone and anyone, it's the best thing that Nancy and I ever did at Tufts University. Now I coach our marathon team, and, and I'm going to hopefully figure this out for the next podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, this is my 20th year at Tufts, um, 2001 graduate of Hamilton College and spent three years at Trinity College as their assistant coach, graduate assistant. All right, we'll keep the Brady Bunch uh, picture going here. Um, so Peter Solomon, 29 years in the NESCAC. I have the unique perspective of having worked at three different uh, universities, colleges uh, in the NESCAC. So uh, started off at Amherst College back in 93, spent four years there before um, moving up to Middlebury College up in Vermont. Um, that was 97 to 2011, spent 14 years there uh, and took the Wesleyan job, uh, head swimming coaching job uh, for 11 years ago, back in 2012. Uh, just recently retired about a month ago. And uh, yeah, and I've been uh, here at Connecticut College. Uh, I was the head coach of men's and women's swimming and diving uh, for 21 years. Uh, I am now newly the head coach of men's swimming and diving. Uh, uh, starting uh, officially uh, midway through last year, but this will be the first uh, full year uh, of that. Uh, I'm a 96 graduate of Tufts, uh, having swum for Coach Megerly, uh, who I will just refer to as coach in this podcast. Uh, there is no other name. <laughs> and, uh, 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 but uh, been uh, obviously with the NESCAC for a long time, right out of school, uh, went around for about six years to a lot of different uh, programs, but uh, eventually ended up back in the NESCAC. 
Oh, awesome. Wow. Yeah. So that's, we got like, if we were to combine all the years of NESCAC coaching experience, we'd have more than a lifetime of, of, uh, of coaching experience just in the NESCAC alone. So um, this is, I, th- I just think this is really unique. So um, that's awesome. So I'll, I'll kind of start at the beginning um, in, in this first question here. I just want to ask, how did you all get into coaching and who were some of your early mentors uh, along the way? Uh, I guess, Mark, I'll, I'll start with you here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was uh, uh, senior year at, uh, at Tufts there, and and you know looking for jobs and such, and you know did did uh, you know the normal academic route with uh, you know double majored and all that, and uh, wasn't having any success in the job market though. And coach said, uh, "Why don't you come come uh, coach at this camp at Babson College with me for a week?" and uh, so I did, and uh, that was that. Uh, <laughs> been uh, coaching ever since. <laughs> so. Um, so I went into college freshman year thinking I was going to be a dentist. And uh, yeah, took my first chemistry exam, got that grade back, and thought, hmm, I might need to start thinking of plan B here. And uh, that uh, naturally kind of just reflecting on some of the impactful people in my life um, who uh, a lot of them were coaches uh, gave me a plan B and that's um, basically in my undergraduate years at NC State decided I wanted to be a swim coach and yeah I started putting the pieces together I was fortunate to have many amazing influences in my life right from age group coaching Alice Mayers and Seekonk Dolphin I think of of you know Ed Reed, the little roadie head coach. He was the head coach of men's and women's, sorry, men's uh, swimming and, and water polo at Brown University. Um, yeah, gosh, I my high school coach Ken Reel, um, again a Southern uh, Connecticut uh, graduate, but uh, the PE teacher and uh, also ran the, the uh, swimming program at our country club, Cambrian uh, Swimming and Tennis Club. So. It's all these great coaches that had an impact on me. And, and I thought, uh, boy, if I could have the impact on others that these folks have had on me, uh, this coaching thing might might be a good way to go. I'm not going to be a dentist. Yeah, I, um, yeah, similar to, to Mark at Hamilton, had a degree in bio and a minor in math. And uh, my college coach encouraged me to look into coaching uh, because Trinity College was in need of an assistant coach at the time. And uh, I was in need of a job that I was excited about. Um, Other opportunities were out there, but wasn't all that excited about it. And uh, my mom was a teacher, uh, so I always liked education. So I started out substitute teaching middle school and coaching at Trinity and really fell in love with coaching. had a great high school and club coach. High school is um, Todd Rainey, who's still head coach at Amity High School. And my club coach, uh, Mick Devenero uh, at Orange Otters, but but now I think it's the Amity Regional Aquatic Club. My college coach at Hamilton, Dave Thompson. My head coach uh, at Trinity, Kristen Noon, who's now an administrator over there at Trinity. And then, of course, coach sitting to my left and Nancy Bigelow at Tufts have been huge influences since I arrived here, um, along with all the coaches in the NESCAC. So a lot of people uh, in the support network that have you know, helped me get here and thankful to have them. 
I, my uh, coaching career started before I knew it, and that was in my junior year in high school. My college, my high school swimming coach, Tom Grohl, my senior year went to Bethany College, recruited me to go to Bethany, which I did without me knowing and he grooming me to go to Springfield College grad school with Coach Sylvie, which I did. There I met Ed Reed and Eddie left to go to Brown. I went to Tufts. And when you mentioned uh, Coach Reel, I remember he was so instrumental in recruiting the Benea Mar twins uh, many, many years ago. And along the way, I have my life has been blessed with people in this room and on the screen, and I wouldn't have it any other way. That's oh, beautiful. Um, yeah, I love I love hearing all the all just like all the different paths that you guys have gone under and, and, and all the mentors along the way. I think what's fascinating to me is that, you know, while we all have these uniquely different paths in the coaching sphere, you all have a shared connection through the NESCAT conference. Um, and I know, Don, you're sort of at the base of this coaching tree here, having coached Mark at Tufts and mentored both Adam and Peter. Um, so my next question is just how have you guys helped mentor one another through your experience in the NESCAC? Um, and Don, I'll, I'll start with you here. Well, I, that's a good question because I, without even Pete and Adam and uh, Mark knowing it, I've reached out to them so many times throughout my career for advice, for help and support. And the, the support they have given me through emails, uh, personal visits, it has been inspiring. It really has. And I, Luckily, I'm still in contact with so many of my former swimmers, even from my first year. I heard yesterday from uh, Brian Herrick about an Achilles issue that he has. He graduated with Mark in 96, and we talk as if it were, we, he graduated yesterday, um, and along many, many of his classmates. So they've mentored me, my, me, my, me being their friend, and they in return have expressed a friendship. As I said, it's Jim Steen's... Uh, induction ceremony a couple, a couple of weeks ago. It is a blessing and it is beyond extraordinary. It really is. It's, 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 a, it's a wonderful life. I'll tail off of that and just say, you know, um, watching and talking. And so connecting with these guys on the screen, but also the other coaches in the conference, uh, we just have that mutual respect, um, but also that that, that friendship that enables us to pick up the phone, uh, you know, talk on deck about the, the, you know, all the highs and all the lows, right? We've hit some uh, pretty high peaks and some low, low uh, valleys over the years and, and no better people to turn to than the folks on this, this uh, screen right here and even within the other coaches of the conference just to figure out, um, you know, Kind of opinions or best approaches uh, based on their experience but yeah i would say um yeah it, it's you know we'll get into this a little bit later but that is what makes this conference so unique is i would say that camaraderie that we all share yeah i'd, I'd like to just get onto that idea the uh uh i mean i know obviously coach has been a you know huge mentor uh you know and we've been in close contact for 20 plus years and, and uh, uh, on any and all topics, but also, you know, and Peter with, you know, with you retiring this year, I've always said the voice of reason uh, in the, con in the conference that just, re just retired. 
uh, you know, so we're, we're, we gotta, uh, we're gonna need to reassess some things, I think, but, uh, you know, you can always count on, on Peter to, you know, deliver a very calm and calculated approach to whatever it is we were, uh, uh, talking about and, and, uh, uh, but really, I think, yeah, the camaraderie in our conference, I, I think, is really neat. It's uh, I, I still remember my very first year, um, our guys were had always finished 11th out of 11 in the NESCAC. We were the perennial doormat, and uh, uh, we were fighting it out with Trinity for 10th. Uh, and and uh, I remember Steve Custer, the Williams coach, you know, coming over midway through the NESCAC meet and he's like, you think you're going to get him? Like how, you know, like he was all into it and like, you know, it was super exciting for him. And I'm like, this guy is about to win his bajillionth NESCAC title here. And he cares about the 10th, 11th place battle going on. I'm like, okay, that's how this is. I get it now. And uh, uh, it just really was cool. Um, you know, that sort of introduction to it all. And uh um, you know, I've tried to pay that forward and, and, uh, you know, everybody's just the investment in each other's success, I think has been really cool to see over the years. And, uh, yeah, it's just been great when any of the NESCAC schools, you know, do well, we feel, I think, uh, a little sense of pride across the board. Yeah, God, you guys have, go I was just say, on that note, Mark, um, do you remember the times like we would, again, be in our own little battles, um, but we'd come back from trials, come back at, at finals at night, and we'd already scored out the evening and how that was going to reflect on. And, and, and Mark had the meet calculated, uh, you know, back in April. But, um, you know, we would, we would compare notes in terms of what the uh, point spreads were going to look like at the end of the night. And just, uh, again, I was just as interested in how Mark's battles were going as the battles our teams were going through. Yeah, I can, I can just speak from my own personal experience. I think when, you know, I uh, was hired as an interim head coach, head coaching the, the men's team at Tufts, you know, within this conference, uh, all the coaches, you know, were looking out for me, were encouraging to me, were positive, were supportive, were helping me to succeed. And that, that has continued on. I mean, I, I, I still think of myself as the young guy and the inexperienced guy in the conference and and, and now I've been here for 20 years and 23, if you count the time at Trinity. So it's just always been a friendly group of, of coaches who, you know, ultimately share the same mission, the same goal of helping young people swim fast, dive well, and get a great education and grow. Um, and I think because of that, you know, it's always, it's just, it's just nice. We all have a seat at the table. Everyone, you know, gets a vote on different things. Our conference office for the most part is, you know, presents in a way where they're interested in our opinion, our director of athletics, you know, they're, they're allowing us to contribute. So, you know, we feel like we have a little skin in the game and we're not just being told what to do. And it's not just about swimming and diving. It's also about, you know, education and personal growth and development. And that, that shared mission within a conference, I think, is rare. I think most conferences, you're going to see a pretty wide strata of types of schools with different mission statements as it relates to athletics. And I would say in the NESCAC, we're pretty much, regardless of where we're finishing, we're, we're pretty much on par with what the mission is, what we're trying to accomplish. And, uh, add on to what the other coaches said, team, is 
I just returned from uh, induction Hall of Fame ceremony in Gambier, Ohio with the esteemed Jim Steen and over 500 of his alumni. And it, it was obvious to me, but two um, coaches weren't invited. And they had two of the most successful along with Jim in Division Three, And they were Kenyan grads, they're part of the NCAC and they're part of the conference now at Emory and Hopkins and these other schools. And they weren't even invited. And uh, it just, it, it, it sort of, I, it affected me a little bit. No one else even, I don't think even in the room knew it, but it just bothered me a little bit. I don't think you'd ever see, you would never see that in this case. You just, it, just, it wouldn't happen. Yeah, no, I, I I've had the luxury of being, you know, in the NESCAC coaching alongside Peter the last two years um, as, as a young grad assistant coach. And I, it, it was obvious to me right from the beginning um, just how unique the, this conference is. And um, you all touched on it, but just uh, the mentorship within the conference and also uh, I think the, yeah, just the development of, you know, the, the student athlete and, and kind of the holistic approach of just, you know, coaching them as a person. It's, it's a, it's just a really special thing. Um, so going off of that, I wanted to ask, um, what do you each believe sets the NESCAC conference apart from other conferences? And if you could give, you know, some examples, um, you know, for, for the audience, that would be great. So um, I guess, Peter, I'll start with you. Uh, you know, I would say certainly the, the investment in, in probably the the true balance of academic and athletic responsibilities. I, I know that's kind of a cliche line for probably any college coach in the recruiting process, but um, I would say our conference really does uh, put their money where their mouth is in terms of making sure that the students are focusing primarily on their academics, but also allowing athletics to fit in there nicely. Okay, and so um, again, we would often refer to as uh, you know, academics being uh, number one priority and, and, and athletics being a 1A, if you will. But I, I think students in our conference do get that, that great balance. Um, a lot of other things that make our conference unique uh, has to do with, I, I think, where the, our conference came from. And we came out of the New England, New England College Swimming and Diving uh, Association, with all the Division three schools and even Division one universities in New England. Um, and that was the conference, if you will. Um, and so a lot of forward thinking back in the day and, and uh, it had to do with participation. All right. And you saw that in, in the size of, of rosters and, and championships. You saw that in the events. Uh, the NESCAT created, um, again, those 50s of strokes, the 200 relays, right? That was not a thing in Division One, Two, II, or Three. Uh, that came out of the New England Swim Association, the 100 IM. These were all events that, that um, the association um, um, just invested in way back when. And so when conferences started breaking out of that association, New Mac um, and certainly the NESCAC, uh, we brought a lot of that history with us. And so again, I would say we um, focused on participation and, and so uh, the more events there were, the more people we got into finals at night um, and more chances for people to compete and really just to keep it fun. And so I would say that's that history kind of continues to make NESCAC unique. We're, we're still doing the 50s of strokes. You know, unfortunately, we lost the 100 IM a few years back. But again, you think of those 200 medley relays, 200 free relays, um, that came out of this 
association way back in, in the day. And Don probably can reflect more on that than, than I can. Yeah, and then that when I was on the rules committee back in the mid 80s, when that topic came up, knowing that we were ready the next day for a vote, the entire committee of 28 division one, two and three coaches would go to an, an annual dinner prior to all these votes for these important issues. And I decided to buy everyone dinner. And I did, and it cost a ton of money. And before the meeting, the next day, Eddie Reese stands up and he said, I would like to thank Don Megaly for that magnanimous gesture of buying everyone dinner last night. They went on to vote everything I wanted. It was absolutely, and more Chris, more uh, uh, Harvard. She was so pissed. She goes, why are you listening to this guy? He's only division three. What the hell is he knowing? Eddie goes, man, he bought me dinner. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and with Norton and uh, uh, Ray Buzzer, we got all these things passed. And it was it was wild. I mean, we we changed at one point. Ernie McGlisco and I we decided it would be cool to switch the eight hundred and the four hundred free relay, which we did. Big mistake. We changed it back the next year. We had all this power and uh, ability to to make changes at the rules committee level. It was extraordinary. But the short relays that was that was pretty cool. Really cool. I would like to say thank goodness you did as a thoroughbred. You know, one uh, more thing I'll sprinter. <laughs> I wouldn't have any events if we didn't. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, one, one thing I'd like to add, and I, and I think we're fortunate, and maybe we take it for granted, but, you know, there used to be a, a nickname for our conference, and that was the Little Ivies. You know, and I think just because of the, the uh, nature of the schools, I think we are fortunate in terms of the people that are looking um, at schools um, that we have here in the NESCAC. And, and once in a while, we overlap with the Ivies, and then we get lucky and we pull somebody away from Division One, and they have a huge impact in NESCAC and Division Three. But I think just the fact that, again, the, the schools in our conference um, makes recruiting relatively easy. Not easy, but we're fortunate of the clientele we're working with. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, that's... I think that's one of the main points and, you know, always, you know, telling recruits, you know, this is, this is not a place where you have to choose whether you want to be successful at academics or athletics. You can, you can be great at both. And, and the college is really behind you being great at both. Um, you know, and I always joke, I don't know how much my administrator is like me joking about it, but I always say, you know, academics is number one, swimming is number two. Uh, you know, and, <laughs> Uh, they, uh, but it, you know, there is that overlap, and and I think I think that's one of the really cool things about the NESCAC, and uh, you know that I like work. I love working with the athletes that are of that mindset. Yeah, I don't have too much to add, but um, the one thing I've noticed that I really enjoy is um, the roster size at our conference meets and the separate gender conference meets um, tends to be very unique, especially right now. So, you know, having 24 you know, women or 24 men competing, it's pretty special. Uh, 11 schools in the conference were a little larger than most, so it's a pretty big meet. Um, and, you know, for the most part, there might be an exception here or there, but uh, everyone's shaved and everyone's tapered and everyone's ready to, to rip it up at, at the conference championships. There, there's, there's a high level of interest and importance placed on you know, the conference championship. And it's not just the teams looking to win. It's every team, like, 
Coach Benvenuti, Mark said, like, you're 11th, you're looking to scrape to get 10th. That's really exciting. Um, so it creates this energy and this atmosphere within our within our conference that's really special. You know, even though I, I think, you know, we almost had every school in the conference represented at the national championships. And if you talk to most coaches and say, what's the most important competition of the year in any sport, they're going to go, well, the national championships. And for us, it's very important, equally important, but I wouldn't say more important than the conference championships. And you go to other conferences and you don't quite have that same energy. Not everyone's rested, not everyone's shaved. The focus might just be on NCAA. So I've always really enjoyed that atmosphere. Um, and I think it sets us apart. It's, it's really quite special being able to compete uh, with athletes who are all focused on doing really, really great at this one meet. You know, one of the unique uh, parameters that NESCAC schools have to operate under is the, the starting date. So it used to be November 1st for many years. It's um, now settling in around October 22nd as the first day of official practice uh, being on deck with the team. And so that also influences whether or not teams are focusing on a, a December shave. I, I, I know a lot of teams, in fact, probably most teams now do try and get that first semester shave in, but it's still not the focus of the season. Um, I'd say it's a chance to swim fast, maybe get a cut here and there. But, um, you know, we're putting all of our eggs into the basket at uh, conference championships, um, unlike, I would say, a lot of other conferences. So that, that did uh, Adam's comments certainly re reminded me of that starting date, which makes us unique as well. And I think part of this question, not we're swimming coaches, but in the broader spectrum of the NESCAC conference of all the sports, and I'll use a phrase, in spite of our starting dates, can't do this, can't do that, can't do this. We, at the end of the season, all of the sports are near the top of their respective championship. Right? Nearly all of them. You look at the Sears Cup, the top 20 teams, five, six, seven are NESCAC teams. Tufts won it two years ago. They were second last year. No, no one can uh, boast that reputation and that, and that success. No matter what they couldn't do and can't do, they end up being there at the at the end, at the top of the game. It's it's, it's an extraordinary uh, program conference. It really is. Yeah, that's that, that's a great point. Um, it it reminds me too, going back to Adam's point, like at the NCAA's this year. You know, it was my first experience on deck at the NCAA uh, AA Division Three Championship meet, and it was amazing to see like the camaraderie between all the NESCAC teams and. Um, just the support like for, you know, all of the teams, even though at one point we're competing against each other, you know, throughout the season and certainly at the conferences and, you know, we're uber competitive, you know, I would say friendship sort of aside, you know, we're, we're getting, um, we're trying to, you know, get the, the best sort of uh, team finish by the end of the meet and, um, but it, but it's an amazing thing, like getting to NCAAs and um, just having everyone support each other. And uh, it was like really cool. Uh, for we had one Wesleyan swimmer. She was a freshman, um, Izzy Payez, who qualified for the 200 fly. And um, we, you know, were kind of uh, right, um, almost like taken in by uh, the Con College um, group of men that were there with Mark. So uh, it was nice to just, you know, kind of share that communal um, NESCAC feeling at the at the big meet at the big NCAA, um, you know, championship. So um, so, yeah, so. I want to um, segue into, you know, we, we touched on sort of uh, uh, kind of the mold of the student athlete in the NESCAC. 
Um, and it's no secret that, you know, these NESCAC schools, like you said, um, you know, at one point or even sort of now they might be known as the mini Ivies. Um, so it's, it's no secret that it takes a, a very high caliber student to get into, you know, the NESCAC school. So um, my question for you all is what characteristics are you looking for when recruiting an athlete to your program? Um, and Adam, I'll start with you here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're in a somewhat of a unique sport. I talk to the ball coaches on our, within our department and, and they tend to be jealous that we can measure athletic performance typically by time. It's a little bit more difficult in diving. Um, so of course, you know, we're looking at times we're, we're, we're looking at great students, like you said, you know, um, we're certainly looking at progression of times, but if you take like the data away, what I would say, and this is a little bit harder, I think, to figure out, and it's probably not the easiest thing for a prospective student athlete to hear, but we're really trying to find people that are passionate about swimming or diving, people that are passionate about our school. Um, and it is really hard to measure because you've got some recruits who are really extroverted, some who are really introverted, but I don't know better way of saying it, trying to find people that are into it. You know, there's a lot of pressure to go to a great school. There's a lot of pressure to keep performing whatever you're performing in any sport. And uh, not to say I don't want to recruit someone who excels under that pressure, but I want someone who, you know, is having a lot of uh, fun doing it and, and and yeah, they're just really into it. You know, they're gonna be excited to invest in our team, in our school, all aspects. So hard to measure, um, probably don't get it right all the time, um, but definitely try to figure that part out, yeah. I've been away from recruiting for so long, but I have so many fond memories, good and bad. And the ones, uh, just listened to an interesting podcast or an interview with uh, Deion Sanders and talking about the recruits that he's looking for, obviously hundreds and hundreds each season. But he said he's looking for the kids that can say, I love football. I love it more than my life itself. And when you sense that with an athlete, swimmer or diver, it's really quite something special. And I also look for the respect between the athlete and the parents. For example, we had a, kid, a fellow in there with his mom and dad. And it really, I was engaged with his father talking about his son and his pro progress in swimming. And his father was so, he wanted to tell me about his son. And his son interjected in a very, very disrespectful way that I will tell him about me. I never called that kid again. And he ended up going to Amherst. And I could care less about what kind of a swimmer he was or he turned out to be. I, I look for that. And I also look for the response from the parents when I would tell them that I've been fortunate to be an usher in more than in 10 of my swimmers' weddings and get their reaction. Not the swimmer could care less. They don't, like, what the hell is this guy talking about weddings for? And I want to see the reaction for the mom and dad. And they go, wow, you really get to know your kids. I said, I really, I take pride in it. I really get to know them. And they, they feel comfortable knowing that I, that I feel that comfortable. So, but, uh, but the academics, they go hand in hand with just about everything else. And it's, um, um, I love the recruiting process. I, I remember Mark telling me when he walked into my office, he sort of looked around the room and said, this is where I want to be. And, I just remember that I know what that feeling is like. And I felt it the same way when I met Coach Sylvia, when I met Coach Steen, when I with Coach Graw. You, you can feel it. It's, it. No one has to tell you. You just know. 
Yeah, I, I knew so much. I did an extra year of high school. <laughs> I wasn't mm-hmm. quite smart enough to go to Tufts the first go around. I had to uh, had to get in a, uh, after a PG year, but uh, it's all it's all good. <laughs> Ended up in the right place. You 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 didn't know you were destined for Clark. Was it was it Clark? Yeah, that was like one of the yeah, or, or it was either Clark or Coast Guard, and I was like, I'm not feeling it at either one of those places. Because I'll, I didn't know you did the Coast Guard. Exactly. Clark, I said, how's that that kid Mark Benvenuti? He never showed up. I said, what? And that's when I found out you took a year off. Yeah, yeah. And I remember calling coach uh, the day I got my acceptance to Tufts. I was on the one pay phone in the dorm uh, at, at the Kent School. And and uh, I called him up. I said, coach, I got in. I'm coming to Tufts. He said, who's this? <laughs> but it, was, it was a great move. But uh, – um, but I learned I learned a lot through that process and and ever since uh, you know and I remember one of the things coach told me early early on maybe even one of the first years I was out you know coaching uh, uh, in the Ivies and and uh, amongst other places but the the words and I'm sure you still you know say this coach is you know, help them get what they want and you'll get what you want and and I thought. I don't have a clue what this guy's talking about. Uh, the first time I heard that, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, it, af- once I did figure it out, uh, you know, it, it the things I'm looking for in the recruits is it's it's ambition, really. Uh, you know, these kids want something. I want, I want guys to come in here and they want to find out something about themselves, whether it's a student or an athlete or just personal growth or whatever, but, but they, they got some ambition and uh, you know, the, the love of the sport and stuff comes with that. And uh, but the, the, uh, the ambition to try to be something that they currently aren't. And uh, that, that to me, uh, that's, that's, that's a, that's a good one. Um, You know, and that's, and and it's those guys I go around, I watch a lot of swim meets uh, and, and, you know, I know, you know, as uh, coach Adam was saying, you know, we can look at the times and that tells you only so much. Uh, it tells you a lot, but it doesn't tell you everything. And, you know, I want to go and watch a kid compete as the anchor on a relay and see what his demeanor is. And, you know, is that, does that kid want to be the anchor on that relay? Does he want to be the one that it all comes down to? Does he want to, you know, after that, does he? What does he do when he goes over and talks with his coach? And what does that interaction look like? And you know, uh, you know, in the relationship with the parents, like Coach was saying, and uh, you know, I years ago I, uh, recruited a kid named Nico Brosnahan, who uh, 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 you know, coming out of high school, uh, he was a, a an upper upstate New York guy, you know, like you, Seamus. But uh, I rec- I recognize the name actually. I remember yeah, swimming and, uh, against him. About yeah. your era, probably. But he was, you know, like a twenty three point two, you know, fifty freestyle or something. They were visit. He and his mom and dad were visiting campus that day, and you know, I just agreed to meet with him because I mostly agreed to meet with everybody, and you know. But he comes down to the office, and I'm about to give him the, you know, look. I'm really sorry you're not fast enough to make the team. Talk and. Uh, he walks in the office and first thing is he fills the doorway. Uh, he's about six foot five and about 220 pounds. <laughs> and I was like, 
Nico, come right in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but what really sold me on the kid was so dad and, and Nico were in uh, uh, the office and um, I think mom was in the restroom. She came in later. Mom comes in the door and Nico stands right up and offers a seat to mom, like without prompt, without anything, just like that was natural reaction for the kid. And I thought, wow, okay, this is the kind of guy I want on my team. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, many, you know, four years later, uh, uh, ends up being a, uh, NESCAC champion on a 200 free relay and, uh, all American and, and, uh, and everything. And, and, uh, I think even a conference record holder on that one, I'm not sure, but, uh, uh, this is a great story of a great kid who made the most of an opportunity, but really wanted to do something and, you know, shot way above where he was currently. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we've made this whole program on. And that's who we're going to keep making it on is, is that kid. Um, I have to completely agree with everything that's been said so far in terms of characteristics and uh, just traits that we look for in the recruiting process but you know nothing works better than a crystal ball being able to uh, look down the, the road to see uh, what the future has in store and, and none of us have that and so we take gambles and, and um, some of those gambles work out some of them may not be what we were hoping for but um, in addition to times obviously we get excited when when we see a NCAA qualifier um, send us an email and let us know that they're interested in our school. But, um, you know, trying to find the diamond in the rough um, is the challenge in trying to uh, match up uh, somebody with that great personality um, with somebody that's going to fit into your program. And I would say that's where uh, it gets a little bit fuzzy in terms of knowing what you're investing in. And, and so for me, again, it's that recruiting visit that that it's kind of the last piece of the equation just to get a sense of the person's attitude. I won't even say personality because we have all personalities on the team or had when I was coaching. And so sometimes your greatest guys are the, are the, the go-getters that take charge, gregarious, um, very personable. Um, and it's great having them in the leadership positions on your team, but some of the best contributors and really the foundation of the program are, are very quiet, uh, introverted, uh, type of, of swimmers personalities and, and we want them on the team um, again I would say from all walks of life orientations um, we want to meet them to get, get a sense of, of how they fit into our program and and as Adam talked about how excited are they about um, that school that program and that's what you try to pick up on when they do visit and so obviously the people that, that want to be there uh, we're in their corner. We want to make that happen and get them uh, part of our program. Um, I would say it works most of the time, but once in a while, um, that crystal ball uh, doesn't work out so well. But um, yeah, I'd say it's more than just about times. We want the right fit, the right personality, the people that are going to bring that energy, that, again, positive attitude to your pool deck on a daily basis. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, for, I mean, you know, for any uh, swimmers, you know, who are looking to swim in college that, that may listen in on this, I think it shows the importance of, um, you know, not only being able to communicate your times and, you know, maybe your interests academically, but then also 
just connecting with these coaches, you know, whether that's initially through a phone call, Zooms, um, but then eventually just being able to go on campus. And like Don said, it's just a, it's a feeling like there's energy, like everything is energy. And so being able to catch that feeling um, from yourself and, and, and the coach, um, that that's really what sort of the, makes a difference in the process. So um, I really, I really love that insight. Um, so uh, switching a little bit, I want to uh, kind of give a little bit more insight as to what head coaches, you know, go through um, in, in a season's um, really in a year's worth um, of, of time. So um, I know Peter, you've been quoted as saying that division three is one stop shopping and, and we do everything. And so what did you mean by this? And, and what are some of the more challenging things that NESCAC uh, head coaches face today? You know, I would say um, it's going to, your access to resources is going to be different at every school. Okay. But generally speaking, in Division Three, your head coaches are, are doing pretty much everything. All right. Um, in terms of recruiting, fundraising, writing workouts, um, you know, I would say working with teams in terms of um, educational pieces throughout the year, whether it's mental health issues. Um, you know, again, even diversity, equity, and inclusion training, um, worrying about meals, flights, um, travel, officials, um, putting in touch pads, you know better than anybody, the logistics of, of even setting up for a meet, breaking down after a meet. Um, and so it's just nonstop in terms of things that are, are required to run a successful uh, program. And so it's uh, more than a, a full-time job. And, and so obviously, if you have assistant coaches that can you can help delegate and, and share that responsibility, the better. Um, and, and again, that will vary at, at different schools. But um, yeah, I would say that tends to be the biggest challenge um, in trying to run a program is, you know, trying to be everything for everybody, which is not humanly possible. But nonetheless, we try. I think you captured that one pretty pretty well. <laughs> Good. That was <clears throat> really well well said, Peter. Super concise and, and to the point. I think looking at you know the three other coaches, four other coaches, I should say, in this uh, session, I th I think while you know it's hard to do everything, I think um, certainly look look at it as a privilege to some level. I mean, I don't know that I look at putting in touch pads as a privilege that gets me excited, but I will say that showing my team, I'm willing to do whatever we need to do to be successful, to, to run a great program, I think um, means a lot to them uh, in the relationship I have with them. And I'm sure everybody else would echo, echo that. And, and not all head coaches have the opportunity or the time to be able to show them kind of the humanity of us, you know, and the reality is, is yeah, I'm gonna pick a bit, I pick up a bandaid on the pool deck. I'm fine putting in the touch pads. I may not like doing these things, but I want us to be great. So I'm gonna do whatever it takes. And I think, you know, that's something that um, can be talked about, but uh, modeling it is is really helpful uh, from an educational standpoint. Watching watching Coach Megerly. Um run his program over the years and, and just the lengths that he went to to run a successful program and, and making sure that his athletes were taken care of 
um, almost became a household joke in my in our house because I was trying to almost duplicate, uh, including the the guidebook, um, um, what Don had had set up for his programs, and, and again that came with many sleepless nights, um, whether it was preseason, pre banquet, of of trying to hold that standard. Um, and, and again, I would say. Um, one thing I learned from your athletes in your charge, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And kind of going along with what, what Adam said, uh, by modeling that behavior, they get a sense of, of where they fit into the scheme of things. And if, uh, again, you're uh, grinding the, the, the stone, trying to get all the I's dotted and T's crossed, uh, I think they see that and appreciate it. Yeah, I think that's a, a a great great thing. I you know certainly having you know firsthand knowledge of what that was like uh, as an athlete uh, and how special that was. All of those things, uh, you know, one one of the things I'm really excited about with this new move, you know, at Con and just coaching one team uh, is is the ability to do that stuff more. Uh, you know, one of the biggest reasons I, I, I had pushed hard to, to make this happen was that I felt like I couldn't be everything to everybody. And I was trying real hard. Um, uh, but but now the opportunity to do that with just half as many, uh, probably still not going to be everything to everybody, but uh, got a lot better chance now uh, anyway. And, and uh, really has allowed me to connect with the athletes even more than before, which was, you know, quite a bit, but uh, this is now a whole different ball game for us. And, and uh, uh, I'm just, it's been really good. And, and on that level, it makes putting touch pads in and, and, you know, trying to schedule officials and do all the other stuff that, you know, is, is sort of the thankless stuff of, of the job that you just don't even think about that stuff. You know, you just, it's just part of, we got to do it. We got to do it. And like, that lets me do all the other things that I want to do. With, yeah, which is be with the athletes. Yeah, definitely. As Peter would always say, it's, you know, getting through the minutia of it all and, you know, that um, that allows you to get to sort of the, the, the true joy of the coaching profession, which is being at those meets, being, you know, in the in the moment of practice and just, you know, doing what we do best, which is um, just connect with with our athletes. So um, so, yeah, that's. That's some tremendous um, insight. And, and it makes me think too, like, you know, it it also shows the importance of just having a, a good staff around you. Because yes, as a head coach, you're in a managerial role, you're trying to, um, you know, trying to schedule all the things that you have to sort of make the machine um, kind of move in the right direction, if you will. But at the same time, you need good assistant coaches around you. You need good administrators. It, it's, it's uh yeah, it's it's just the collective support of everyone that um, that just makes uh, makes your job even uh, easier. So, um, but uh, but yeah, so I'll I'll move on here. I, I want to kind of touch on some of the more memorable um, sort of moments in your career. So um, you know, throughout throughout your your coaching careers, what are some of the more memorable races or meets um, that you have presided over? So. You know, that can be a, a surprise swim, a team title, um, you know, even a moment in practice. If there's any, you know, examples that stick out, um, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear about them. So, um, yeah, if anyone wants to jump in. 
I, I can start off with a couple. I'll try to be brief. But uh, when I was coaching at Trinity College with Kristen Noon, my first year, our men's team didn't win a meet. And the second year, we didn't meet win a meet until I think it was our eighth meet. And they threw me in the pool uh, at the dual meet. I don't remember who it was against. But I'm yelling at them saying, guys, like, you get thrown in the pool when you win a title, not when you, you know, break a losing streak. But you know what? You do whatever feels right to you as a team. So that was pretty memorable. Um, I'd say my second year at Tufts coaching the men. Again, we we finished runner-up, and the guys jumped in the pool at Williams. Williams had won the meet. They were the ones supposed to jump in the pool. They ultimately <laughs> did. But we jumped in the pool. Uh, I was thrown in the pool. Um, but just that level of enthusiasm, that that level of excitement, uh, that level of pride, I think, is whenever I think about any you know, athletic experiences I had as an athlete or as a coach, like that's, that's what it revolves around. Like pure, pure elation, pure joy. That's, that's what we're trying to do. It can't be dreamed up. It just happens, you know, um, similar with our women winning a first conference title, but there, there are so many, it doesn't have to be a title. It can be the, the, the littlest swim, the littlest moment in practice that is just really authentic, genuine and organic. And, and that's what we're going for, right? It's like so cool when that stuff happens. So yeah, so many, like too many to even be able to pick one. So many special athletes, coaches, moments. I mean, coach, I can't even imagine what you're going to say. Oh. <laughs> I mean, how do you pick? Yeah, right. I mean, our, our early swimming pales in comparison to what Mark and Adam and Peter have done. But my, my first mem first real memorable moment was when we had a swimmer, Jim Lilly, win his national title down in Lexington in, uh, in Virginia, uh, Washington Lee University in 82 and 50.6. And I, it was it was amazing. And we were fourth place at, in the final uh, tally of, of schools. They only gave trophies to the top three then. They did. They gave fourth place trophy the following year. And I tell people, had we gotten a trophy in 82, I'd still be sleeping with it. Because having that NCAA trophy, every athlete of any team and every coach knows what that represents, whether it's first, second, third, or fourth. It is a culmination of extraordinary uh, love for your sport, uh, preparation that goes beyond the pale. And so Lily was one, and then I'll finish with this one really quick. Jim Wong was a great swimmer for us many, many years ago. When he won the 50-yard freestyle, New England went on to the Nationals. And he was third in a 50 freestyle, went 20.8, even beat Jim Bourne down in Canton, Ohio. And he went 45-1 off our relay. And going to Division One, following that, me telling Division One coaches who had recruited uh, Jim Bourne, uh, Jim Moong, excuse me, and he didn't, they didn't go there, obviously, to go there, obviously. And uh, telling them what he did as for time, they were astounded. Phil Hansel at Houston said, my God, we, we could have used him on our relay. I'm sitting there thinking, Really? I was I was flabbergasted. It was just just so I was beaming. I was so so excited. But uh but what we did then and I mean this sincerely, pales in comparison to what the kids are doing today. It's uh, it's 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 beyond anything I've ever seen. I, I I marvel, I just marvel, take my head off, respect beyond uh, off the charts for what Pete and Adam and Mark have done and will continue to do with the swimmers. I try to narrow it down to my top three, and I think I snuck in four. Um, and even hearing 
coach speak. I can think of three or four more other ones that are so memorable. But, um, you know, my first year at Amherst, um, we're swimming this team called Williams. Um, <laughs> and I'm not even sure I had an appreciation, certainly didn't have an appreciation then for what I uh, have now for this conference and certainly what Williams has been able to do over many, many, many decades. But um, anyways, uh, unknowingly, we became the first team to beat Williams men in a dual meet that year, uh, my first time out. Um, and so uh, I don't think I repeated that in the next 28 years of my uh, coaching career, but that was quite memorable. Um, yeah, number two, we actually won the NESCAC championships. I think we were the first team to do so on the men's side um, other than Williams uh, since 1966 or something like that. So back in 2002 with our Middlebury men. So that was pretty memorable, especially when you consider our last two meet of the year was against Williams. And they pretty much um, just about doubled our points. And three weeks later, um, we were to come back and surprise them. And again, number crunching uh, is what uh, we do. And so I kind of about three or four days before the championships, we get the psych sheet start crunches and numbers and start playing best case scenarios. And I put it out there that, all right, guys, you guys can pull this off. You get to shave my head. And things started coming together day one, day two. By day three, they had bought the buzzers and did it right on the pool deck. Happened to be at Wesleyan back in 2002 and took the hair off of my head uh, right on the spot. So that was certainly memorable. Um, so I, like coach, um, I had a national champion uh, back in 2010, John Dillon. And John uh, was NCAA Swimmer of the Year that year, back in the Division Three Nationals at Minnesota. So an amazing breakout performance there. Um, and, and really, uh, that was exciting to be part of. Uh, the team did well, but certainly so did John uh, really have a, a breakthrough performance there. But... Um, I have to say, you know, qualifying Wesleyan's first uh, women's relay to nationals, um, I won't say the first ever, but probably in, in a couple of decades, um, we got disqualified uh, at championships uh, unjustly. But uh, nonetheless, we made a good case for ourselves, and the ADs gave us permission to do a time trial the following week at the men's championships. And so, anyways, um, we got the girls ready for that four by 100 free relay, Caroline Murphy, Hannah O'Halloran, uh, Zoe Karich, and Grace Middleton had to get up and, and do this race one more time. Um, and so anyways, we went out fast and, and we had it going and we just needed that last leg um, to, to finish. And, and sure enough, she touched the wall and not only had we qualified, we, we'd gone a second faster than we had at championships the week before. Um, just a lot riding on the line, particularly for our senior that year, Zoe Karich. And, and so to me, uh, that was uh, euphoric, that moment when uh, we qualified that really for the first time uh, back in 2018 was exciting. But yeah, um, I, I've, I've celebrated all of these guys' victories. And again, um, so the, the, the memories are, are too numerous to, to even include here, but that could be a podcast on its own. Uh, exciting moments so yeah uh well yeah all I, I remember a lot of these moments <laughs> uh they, they were pretty awesome uh you know for, you think back over the years and and uh, 
the ones that always get me are like the senior who has worked his tail off or her tail off for, for four years, maybe never really got the recognition they deserved or something. And then all of a sudden the senior year, they come out and everything comes together. And, and, you know, one of the people I'm obviously thinking about, you know, Seamus is your brother, Tosh, uh, last year and, and how all that came together for him. But, but there've been a long line of seniors before that, uh, uh, who, who, you know, finally put it all together and, uh, it just, just magic happens when you, you know, and you see that, that senior year, four years of, of work. And, uh, uh, those are the ones that just always get me, uh, I, I'm a big crier on the pool deck when it comes to that stuff. I, I just can't help it. Like it, it's so cool. Uh, you know, the, uh, th those moments are awesome. Uh, I think of some team moments, um, We've had some individual champions, uh, you know, NESCAC and, and NCAA, and that's been great. Uh, those were obviously amazing, you know, moments and everything. But but I always think of those those senior moments, and then I also think of there's been a couple of teams throughout my time that have just been really special teams that put it all together, did everything right all year. And, you know, then at the end of the year, sometimes you can have a team that does everything right and nothing happens at the end. But – the, the team that does everything right puts it all together and then goes and swims with with that passion and excitement and puts it all together and you get some just incredible performances and I can think of two off right off the top of my head was one was actually when I was an assistant coach at Princeton um, so this is a long time ago um, we had uh, Harvard had won the um, Ivy League for the last six or seven years and and uh uh we were at harvard for uh the championships and and uh uh we were you know we were behind the entire meet uh uh i, I as peter can you know attest i crunched all the numbers and knew that we would be behind the whole way but uh uh we you know we were gaining the whole way through and didn't take the lead until the 200 fly last individual event we had four guys in the a final took the lead over harvard in fact, one of my favorite things is hearing them come over the uh, uh, loudspeaker just before that, announcing the Harvard victory reception would be in the, the <laughs> such and such room. Oh. And, uh, uh, you know, so we, we, we come over the top of them in the last, you know, two, three events. Uh, you know, we just had to hang on on that relay and, uh, uh, you know, just, and pulled, off the, pulled off the win for the first time. And, you know, I don't know how long, but uh, that, that was just one of those – you know, you, you just, like you say, euphoric, you know, moments. Uh, uh, another one I can quickly remember is in 2014, uh, our men up at Bowdoin. Uh, it was the first time we really, really put ourselves on the map. Um, we won every relay except the eight free relay. And, and uh, uh, I think set records in most of them. And just every time the guys touched the water, it was lightning. I mean, it, it was just – I, 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 went back and calculated everything it was 98 percent lifetime best in that meet of all the swims it was one guy went slower in finals than he did in prelims and that was it, it the whole meet was just best time after best time best time and though all those teams you know were were one of those special kinds of teams and uh, you know and, and you just love to see them have that payoff uh at the end and and uh have that you know just some 
incredible experiences and, you know, to be a part of that. And, you know, it's funny because I want to be a part of it, but also I've been around long enough to know that when you've got a team going that well, my best move is to just step back <laughs> and let it all happen, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but, but boy, it's exciting. And, you know, I think of even our guys last year and, and the, all the things they did right. And the, you know, to have our first relay qualify and uh, for NCAAs in a number of years, that, that was really special. And, uh, uh, you know, just, just some great moments along the way. And, uh, but yeah, th those are the things more, more than even the, the national champions. The, those are the things that, that will always stay with me long after this. Uh, incredible stuff to be a part of that. Yeah. I, I really appreciate, you know, you guys sharing some of these. I think, like you said, it's it's hard to, you know, try and pick three or four moments. But, um, you know, there are, there are certainly countless special ones. Um, but, yeah, I think just listening in, like, a, that, that payoff, right, of, of the hard work that the athletes put in and, and seeing that come to fruition sort of at NESCACs or at NCAAs, um, you know, sort of championships or champions aside, obviously that's a product of it, but, um, that's those are really what what stand out, and and certainly dethroning a Harvard or Williams might can stick I, in your. Can brain. I have one more memory? But, Young in my Amherst coaching days, um, we're at NCAA sorry NESCAC championships at Wesleyan University, and something's happening with the timing system. So there's a delay in the meet, um, substantial delay in the meet, and so all the swimmers are getting anxious and and trying to figure out what to do and trying to stay warm. And there's somebody over in the side of the pool floating on his back. <laughs> and, and five minutes, 10 minutes, this person, you know, you almost have to make sure that the person's still alive, but just floating on their back. And anyways, they finally figure out the timing system. They get the, the race up and going. And Tufts wins the relay. And I had to, you know, Don, what the heck is happening over here? What did your guy do while they were fixing the timing system? He's like, oh yeah, we were, he was floating. Floating. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what we do. <laughs> On camper time, they start floating. So, anyways, that's uh, another podcast in itself. Um, that, but, that was my senior year. I was a flyer on that relay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Dr. Brian Herrick floating in the uh, floating in the Wesleyan pond. <laughs> yes. <laughs> People are jumping around, getting crazy, screaming, just trying to fill the time and stay warm. And Brian had a, a Zen moment going on in the pool there. And obviously <laughs> the rest is history. Very memorable coach. Especially when knowing that we were, we were seated uh, first going into the final, but we we're going to relinquish to Williams because they were going to flip flop John Young and the butterfly. And we thought, well, they're, they're, you know, we're not going to beat these guys. And man, they went on to beat them. <laughs> they, <laughs> crazy. Sure did. No Justin Steele <laughs> on the end of that one, Mark. <laughs> Uh, that'd be a podcast in itself, just memorable moments. You know, I'd say not only in the pool, but maybe even away from the pool. <laughs> uh, but again, that would get us all fired. <laughs> yeah, I have to be careful with those. Um, well, speaking of floating during taper time, I just want to ask, you know, there's a lot of talk with coaches about training and in certain aspects of their training that, you know, uh, might help their athlete re athlete reach those kind of uh, championships or, or champion status. Is, is there anything that you guys do within your training that's sort of a, what I would call a game changer for your athletes that is just sort of 
um, you know, really stayed consistent or even something new that that you, you just are, are really a strong believer in. And uh, secret channels. <laughs> secrets. Exactly. Hmm. I, you know, I've again, fortunate to have been mentored and around some brilliant minds in swimming. And I think they all, uh, this, uh, I, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is rest. I think we rest more than swimmers are comfortable resting at the end of the year. And that comes from, uh, coach Megerly. It comes from my, my club coach, my club coach, Ed Reed, uh, who also is a coach Sylvia uh, disciple as is uh, Don Megerly. Um, and so, uh, Ed had the best tapers for me. Um, I learned from what he did for our tapers. I watched Coach Megerly and listened to him about resting um, and brought that into our program. So I think that was kind of the, the game changer for our programs over the years. At Middlebury, we used to call it the Middlebury Magic. Um, but it, nothing, it was nothing more than, than working hard and then resting a lot. Having benefited greatly from all of that rest, uh, uh, yeah, that's certainly something we've taken, uh, you know, and feel like, uh, you know, maybe we've added to as well. Um, but I think, you know, she's a game changer. I think just as a sport, one of the big game changing things, obviously, is the underwater kicking. I mean, if you're not doing that, you're 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 a dinosaur uh, at this point. But but uh, uh, the you know, so that's got to be somewhere in your training program. Um, I think though, for us, if we're doing anything unique, it's, it's in just addressing every kid on the team's needs, you know, and, and really trying to make sure that, you know, and then like, again, you know, with 26 athletes, you know, and I can, I can do that now and say, all right, what do you need to go fast? What do you need to go fast? And, you know, be able to really cater to each of them, um, you know, and we get kids from everywhere, you know, some are, you know, have, are used to doing a, you know, bajillion yards five times a day and, you know, never took a day off in their lives. And, uh, you know, and some of them started in high school and, you know, don't even know what USA swimming is, you know, and, you know, trying to get all of these guys to be at their very best at the end of the year, it's not a one size fits all thing. And, and I think if we, you know, if we're giving out some secrets, that's there's our secret, uh, you know, is that we're just trying to get everybody what they need to be at their best at the end. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, I keep going back to that. I get, I get them what they want and uh, then I get what I want uh, at the end of that. So uh, that, that's, that's how we kind of look at, uh, you know, things as, as a team nowadays. Yeah, um, kind of to Mark's point, you know, I, I always kind of, I like to talk, I like to talk to the team, I like to talk to the athletes about everything and anything, um, but I try to remember that I've got two ears and one mouth for a reason, and I try to listen a lot to what they're saying. It's not always my natural kind of path, um, because I have a lot of experiences I want to share. But to Mark's point, really listening um, makes a big difference. I think given the NESCAC kind of season, we have to trust our athletes maybe more than any other coaches in the country because our out of season is a bit longer. So we we can you know direct them as to 
what we suggest them to do, what we would like them to do. But you've got to have that level of trust. And I think that's something that makes our relationships with our athletes really, really special. But you only have trust when it's a two-way street and when you're listening and, and kind of like Mark said, giving them something, uh, even if it's just an opportunity to get what they want, then we get um, what we want. So there's a lot of that partnership, that collaboration that I think is special. Um, I, I tell them all the time, I, I don't have any answers. I just have ideas. I mean, maybe with some basic stuff as to, you know, what to do, what not to do, but they already know those things. Those are the answers I have. Other than that, I just share ideas and we talk a lot. Um, the only other thing I would say is like more so out of necessity, given our facility in the school, but has been really interesting to see happen. So we, we do swim some doubles in our program. They're not required. So people have to choose to participate in those. But like Mark said, I mean, there are people very used to that. They feel like they need that to do really well. So we do that. We used to do them in the morning early. Um, and now we do them. The, the last thing they do of the day training wise is their double session. And it's usually an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. And the output difference, having them do it last rather than do it first, their focus, their enthusiasm, their performance, their energy has been amazing. And what I also learned about those doubles is you take, you know, we might have a great mid distance swimmer and a great miler there. I used to, oh, perfect opportunity give them really specific stuff to do. And what I found is they're much better off just racing each other, even if it's not the same event. Get get those fast, competitive people together and let them do something, you know, amazing together. So that, that's been a cool kind of learning experience for me. And it also relates to what both Peter and Mark said about rest. I, I don't like to get them up early if I do not have to. Um, sleep, sleep, sleep. Please get your sleep. We don't need to get up crazy early to do it because they don't go to bed early no matter what. I can schedule 5 a.m. workout. They're not going to go to bed earlier. Some of them will, but but not all are athletes. They, they have a lot of priorities. So trying to make it work for them has, has been fun. But those are a couple things that I've found kind of along the lines of what Peter and Mark said. So I think we all kind of have similar thoughts, and it's just unique to our school as to how we're able to implement those ideas. Um, when I was at Kenyon, I didn't realize that with the TPSC Total Performance Swim Camp, they have added, as Jess Book, the current coach, talks about the fifth stroke, and that is underwater kicking. And they have brought in this past summer a specialist, and, it, and it's part of their uh, training. It's part of a, the week-long preparation. They have fly back breast-free and all sprint group, but now they have an underwater session with a specialized coach just on dolphin kicking on front and back. And it's... Uh, that's amazing. And I, not that I, I didn't know that going in, you know, 10 years ago, but boy, in the last, this past year watching Williams and Mescac, especially the underwater kicking that they were doing was just, just beautiful to watch. You go to the next level, you go to Division One. My goodness, they don't come up to even breathe. They're, they're all underwater. It, it is amazing to watch. And they can learn that. They've learned that. And they're learning well, all the kids. And the thing about rest, and I, I'll take, I, I don't take credit for this, but Everything I did with our swimmers and learned from the coaches with swimming, I've applied it to the running. And it has it has worked wonders. And when Mark talked about about sleeping late, we have no rules or regulations governing our marathon team. And I tell them if they wake up on a Wednesday for a six thirty 
uh, a.m. for a 7 a.m. run, and they feel tired, roll over and stay in bed. I, I, you're dog tired. I do not want you coming down to see me thinking that's going to be your benefit, getting a marathon bit. Roll over and go back to bed. And a lot of them do, and it's to their benefit that they do. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I think rest, um, you know, just whether that's sleeping, just in in, in sort of uh, getting your extra hours of sleep or certainly when it comes to taper time and um, just being able to, you know, just be off your legs a little bit more and, and, and certainly, uh, yeah, just, just kind of ease up on, on, on the volume of training is certainly beneficial for the athletes. So, um, yeah, so I, I want to be cognizant of your all your time here. We're, we're going to be winding down. This is my final question. I just want to ask, how do you all see college swimming continuing to evolve both in the NESCAC conference and within the larger scope of Division Three? I know, you know, we've we've come a long way in the sport. Certainly, Don, you've seen, you know, the the, the sport evolve um, back when there were, you know, no separate divisions. And, uh, you know, it was all under the same NCAA sort of division banner. Um, so I just wanted to ask, yeah, how do you guys see um, the scope of college swimming evolve? Um, and yeah, we'll start um, with you, Don, or you, Adam. I'll go with Adam because they, they have a much better grasp on this than I do, quite frankly. Sure. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I think something that kind of blows my mind that I'm interested to see if it comes to fruition um, across pretty much all sports, you know, um, we're all just becoming more aware of like resources and, and providing resources as best we can in our communities to young people to be able to learn, educate themselves, practice and get better. And I think something that I'm seeing, and I'm sure Mark and Peter, you see it when you go to NCSAs or YMCA nationals, there are a lot of very fast swimmers out there. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of people qualified to join our teams, to join a lot of different teams. And what I think and hope may happen is we may see a little bit more parity um, in teams across the country, across all divisions um, from ranking standpoints. And, and I could be wrong, but I just think there are more athletes out there and, and, and gone are the days and times where these, you know, top one or two programs can just kind of cherry pick these really special athletes. Um, so it's fun and exciting for, you know, I think all coaches to know that we're going to have a shot at um, putting together some really special teams and we're not just like dictated, you know, a certain place finish because there's a pecking order already in place. So just things are going to get faster and, and a lot of teams are going to be faster, not just the, the typical kind of top top teams in the country. And that's going to be exciting for a lot of teams to be able to um, hopefully try to do things that haven't be, been done before at their schools. So that's the one thing kind of I've been looking at just when I look at the pure data and volume of unbelievable athletes out there. Division three is the old division one. Um, it just keeps right. getting faster, um, and I don't see it stopping. Uh, I'm not sure what that point of uh, – we physically can't get any faster, but um, it's nowhere on the horizon at this point. And I've often joked around about having a Division Four just to, again, get that parity back in within certain teams. It's gotten so fast. Um, but I think a lot of it's going to, uh, on the national level, Division Three level, is going to be uh, determined by – 
budgets and, and whatever football and basketball do with their TV contracts is going to have a trickle down effect with division three swimming and our championships and certainly for Olympic sports. So uh, that remains to be seen. I hope that they continue you know, to offer division three national championships um, down the road, but there are scenarios that play out that budget wise uh, with NCAA loses those contracts that things could look a lot differently. Um, you know, and, and this pressure in the NESCAC to reduce budgets, I'm sorry, to reduce um, roster sizes, reduce the length of our championships, reduce events at our championships, um, or even final uh, opportunities, final swims at our championships. And, and coaches have been certainly doing diligence to try and keep things um, focused on participation. But as soon as you start losing roster spots, events, final swims, uh, the rich get richer, and there are going to be teams in the bottom tier that won't even see a final swim slash dive uh, if it moves in that direction. So, again, I'd say there's, there's certainly some pressure to go in that direction. Uh, hopefully it won't, but that's certainly on the horizon for all of us coaches. Yeah, I think I think the from a, you know, the Division One Olympic side of things and all that, it's it, it just sport just keeps getting faster and you just see all these, you know, young kids like Adam was saying and these, you know, these meets that we're recruiting at and stuff. And you're like, these kids, there, there's 50 kids in this one event who could come and swim at my school right now, you know, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then of course thinking, well, why, why aren't they at my school? But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but they, you know, it's, it's just there, there's a lot of them. And I do think that eventually is going to lead to some parity, but it is, but the whole, uh, level is rising and, and, uh, you know, it'll, I think it's going to be interesting in the NESCAC in the coming years where, you know, I, you know, like Adam, I still see myself as one of the young coaches, except I'm not, uh, anymore. And, uh, I'm now, especially with Peter retiring now, I'm like third or fourth most senior coach in the NESCAC and that in my head doesn't register, but uh, the, you know, there's a lot of young coaches and, and the conference is going to go where they want it to go. And, and uh, uh, you know, where those voices, you know, contribute and, you know, my, hopefully they see the value in the things that, you know, us older coaches who have been around a long time and, and who even event uh, originally set up, the NESCAC, uh, you know, that they have, they place value upon the things that the NESCAC has been and, uh, and hopefully will continue to be. And, um, but, you know, that's, that's just as time uh, goes on, you know, they're going to have, uh, you know, young blood coming in and, and uh, hopefully they, they see the merit and the value in, in what we've done before them and, and uh, that they're willing to keep it, keep that ball rolling. Um, you know, and I, and I think they will. I, mean, I think the NESCAC is such a such a great conference and offers so many things. It would be uh, it would be really tragic for it to to lose that uh, sort of thing. And uh, I think that's knowing our coaching group. I think that's a uh, I think a really strong you know thing for us. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's just getting faster and trying to come up with new ways to be faster than everybody else and you know <laughs> so sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but uh we're, we're trying something every time and and uh, i think that's you know everybody's try after that do you guys remember i mean like 
this past year, I think I, I may be wrong on this, but I, I feel like every school might have been represented in swimming or diving at the national championships, every NESCAC school. And I don't know. I mean, that trend continues to move in that direction where our conference is, you know, across all teams has some of the best swimmers and divers in the country. Um, and I know it's always been good, but I feel like, Coach, when you were there, I'm not so sure all the schools were represented yeah, at the like NCAA that, yeah. championship. Yeah, because you, you count on schools not knowing they would, wouldn't be there regardless. It's not going to happen. And then there, there were those that were guaranteed. But to, to know that all, all 11 schools were represented? I, I wow. think so. I might, I might be wrong, and I don't want to, you know, call out a specific school, but – I think we had full representation, which was pretty cool. I mean, yeah. it's close if we didn't. It, it's right. It's it, at least ten out of eleven, uh, right? That I'm thinking of, uh, right? Right. So pretty cool. I, I, you know, it's just a, a cool conference to be be part of. I'm excited to see where it all goes. I don't know. It also stresses me out sometimes, but that's a, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> You're, you're right. When trying you, to keep up. Like the NC, uh, the Oberlin, um, um, Canyon, Sanderson, uh, you can always count on. I love love Dick Michaels when he was coaching there, but you can always count on them not being represented at national. They just Grinnell. I mean, a whole, whole bunch of schools. But the Bobby Hauk uh, coaching and all the people of Brad at the WashU, there were just people that we knew were going to be regular faces. They, they were going to be there, and they were there. And then when I left uh, several years ago, I started seeing all these new schools and coaches come on the scene. I was just flabbergasted. Just marvel at some of that stuff. Well, yeah, that that just about wraps wraps up my questions. I, I want to thank you guys for you know joining on and taking time out of your day to to talk, and certainly Peter for orchestrating this. Um, so. Yeah, if you know, if you guys have any parting thoughts you want to add just before you know I wrap it up here, you're welcome to do so now. Um, but otherwise, it's it's been it's been great. It's been really fun, you know, just learning from you yeah, all. Has been this is, I'm so happy I'm part of this. I really am. It's beautiful to be part of it. Agreed, and well done, Seamus. I wish you luck in your other podcasts, but uh, couldn't be more excited to be part of this first one, and especially with the people that are here on this screen, uh, yourself included, Seamus. And uh, again, I would say what a wonderful script uh, was written when I joined the NESCAC, gosh, 30, mm -hmm. uh, 29 years ago. Um, so I uh, made great friends um, and been part of some amazing student athletes' lives. So who'd have thought uh, <laughs> that kid that was flunking out of chemistry at NC State would have had all these opportunities. So, um, Good decision to switch gears. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Seamus, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, obviously uh, quite a room uh, full of people here. And uh, uh, any anytime you want me back uh, on the on the podcast, let me know. Happy to do it. Uh, I, I think it's great, and uh, especially if these guys are involved, and and uh, uh, just just uh, happy for you. You're doing this, and and uh, wish you much success with it. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, it certainly made my morning, Seamus, yeah. just getting to talk swimming and diving with, you know, four people I have the utmost respect for. So appreciate it. Uh, I was curious, Seamus, you like get-out swims or, or you yay or nay on the get-out swim as a coach? 
I love get out swims. Yep, absolutely love that. Yeah, hence hence the name of the podcast. I was thinking like, what what could we? Yep, yep, yep. What, what? either coach you like get out swims? Yeah. Any 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 get out swim stories too to to, to wrap this up with. This, this is good. This is Lily's second year, and we've been swimming for six days. Six days of the season. Mike Felsen, our breaststroker, hey, you're going to workout. He said to me, "Can we have another get out swim today?" I said, "We can't do them every day, Mike. I mean, we gotta we gotta swim at some point." He said, "I said, what's it? What do you have in mind this year?" He said, "If Jim Lilly can come into practice and break 50 seconds for a 100 yard freestyle, can we all get out and swim?" I said, "We'll get, we'll take a month off if he breaks." <laughs> so Lily comes in, and I got three legitimate watches, and this is a true story. I said, "Jimmy, we got another get out the proposal here, and involves you." And he goes, what do I have to do today? I said, well, we'd like to see if you can break 50 seconds on a 100-yard freestyle with legitimate start, three held hand watches. And he said, can I at least swim down to the end of the pool and back? I said, go ahead and warm up. He swims 50 yards. He gets out, and this is my my mother's grave. He goes 47-6 in a 100-yard freestyle. He swims October, November, December, January. He goes to March. We're down at some national meet. He goes tie in the finals, 47-6 in a 100-yard freestyle, shaved and tapered. <laughs> Look at how come I hit? Don't even ask me, Jim. <laughs> I have no idea. The same freaking time. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. Uh, they're just magical moments. It brings the team <laughs> yeah. together, and nothing better than a get out swim that works when you're in training yeah. uh, down in uh, yeah. Florida for a winter training trip. It's got to work, though. It's got to work. <laughs> it's got to work. <laughs> I know. Otherwise, you're the bum. <laughs> it's, you got to give them a you know, time that's just impressive enough, but not so fast that they're going to fail at it. You got to, you got to be counting on it. Uh, <laughs> nothing more depressing than a failed get out swim. <laughs> yeah, they make me nervous. But, yeah, I, I'm cheering just as hard as the team when, when, when they keep going to get out. So, you know, like, I don't want to deal with the aftermath if the guy doesn't make it. Right. 100%. Got to bust them out at the right times. Yep. Awesome. All yeah, right. Well, it's a good time for that. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Uh, th- again, thanks, everyone. And yeah. It's been awesome. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. Good luck. We'll see you. Have a great week. See you guys. Bye.